Hello everybody, welcome to another edition of the Leaders Performance Podcast. I'm David Cushnan, Head of Content here at Leaders. With me, as always, John Porch, Lead Writer, Leaders Performance Institute. John, hello. Hello David, how's it going? It's going very well. We're in the midst of a, uh, a hot and balmy uh, UK summer as we talk to you here at uh, Leaders Performance Institute HQ in Wimbledon. And uh, I noticed recently, John, that you had some guests here in the uh, in the office here at HQ. Who were they and what were you talking to them about? Well, that's right, David. It was uh, Gareth Townsend, the director of the academy at Surrey County Cricket Club. Where we managed to occupy the boardroom for the best part of an hour. And we were talking about the success of the academy down there. I mean, in recent years, the Surrey Academy has seen the rise of Jason Roy, Sam Curran and Tom Curran, three players who've all represented England at international level. And what else was on the agenda? Well, we talked about how players are engaged in their own development at Surrey, and uh, they even have a say in how they craft and create the club's values and behaviours, and they even put it into a Bible, and the players are involved in creating that. Anything else we need to know ahead of uh, hearing the interview? Well, one interesting point, David, is that they make a real effort to remove players' fear in pursuit of a psychologically safe learning environment, which is something that seems to keep cropping up all the time at our performance events at the moment. And talking of performance events, thank you to everybody who joined us in Chicago recently. Next stop for us is Florida at the end of August, 29th. Uh, of August at the IMG Academy. Full details of how to attend and who's speaking at leadersinsport.com and just click on performance. If you are a Leaders Performance Institute member, there is a regular stream of insight, intelligence, perspectives from across the performance space, uh, much of it put together uh, by you, John, of course. And if you're not a member of the Leaders Performance Institute, then why not sign up now at leadersinsport.com. Right, here goes with another Leaders Performance podcast. Enjoy the episode. And uh, John, we'll talk again soon. Absolutely. Gareth, welcome to the Leaders Performance podcast. Thanks for inviting me in. Great. And I suppose a good place to start would be to ask you to outline your academy. I mean, you're renowned as one of the best in England, players entering your senior squad and, of course, going on to the national team. But uh, how big is the academy? And when do you start bringing the kids in? Yeah, well, our academy goes beyond just the elite players that we bring in at 16, 17, 18. We, fortunately, at Surrey have kind of governance and responsibility for the whole of the, the pathway, the talent pathway. So we will start assessing and working with players, developing them at the age of nine. And our system encompasses... Varying, varying levels of ability through nine all the way up to 17. So it allows us to pick and develop the better players and push them onto the, um, the higher levels of performance. And what are some of the benefits of bringing in players as young as nine? That's not always the case in some sports around the world, of course. No, it's important, I think, that we, we can deliver quality, decent, quality coaching programmes at young ages, but also I think we realise that girls, boys at that age have to be experiencing other sports um, and developing their whole physical talent. So we're kind of competing with other sports, but we're also making sure that we're not just isolating them into cricket so they have a full kind of um, experience growing up of, of multi-sport activities. But we do obviously identify the better cricketers amongst them and obviously start putting as much information and resource into them as we can. And on that note, what are you looking for in young recruits? I mean, I'm sure it's not talent alone. Um, do you recruit against a certain set of values or standards? Yeah, they, they ha it has to be quite broad. Um, at, at the younger ages, you're looking for some basic 
delivery of fundamentals in the way they execute skills, whether it's the batting skills in terms of striking, movement, um, bowling actions, whether they repeat so that a bowler can put the ball in the same spot regularly. Uh, but also going beyond that, we have our kind of um, what we call level descriptors. So we have varying parts of the game of cricket split up into different skills and we base them on a kind of marking system of one to five um, in terms of how people move, how people strike a ball, spin, seam, batting, bowling, fielding, psychological, physical parameters. So we kind of look at the whole the whole part of, of, of a sports person and how they operate and, and even at that younger age just begin to try and apply some of those principles to the players. Knowing you will also have extremes on that where you have players who don't necessarily fit everything but they have something special or you feel they have some innate ability that will develop further. And who's having those conversations around the players then when you're considering all of those different metrics? We'll have a, 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 a large coaching team, not all, some of them obviously full-time. We have performance managers who work with me, but also part-time coaches and support staff who will be working um, and delivering those key messages and concepts through the, um, the, uh, the assessment phase and the, pa the pathway from nines upwards. Very few academy players will make the grade at county cricket, let alone the international game, but what are some of the key considerations that enable the likes of Jason Roy, Tom or Sam Curran to take that pathway and actually make it to the England team? Well, as individuals, all those guys got strong determination, strong beliefs in what they have. They have um, great inner confidence. They thrive on, on people, on the competition element of what they do. If you, um, Tom and Tom Curran and Jason are great examples when they were thrusted in very early, and Sam Curran, into the 2020 at the ages of about 17, 18, in front of a, a, full, a full crowd at the Oval, 30,000. They relished it, they enjoyed it, they didn't fear it, they didn't seem overwhelmed by it. Um, and the more you kind of push them up the performance ladder and the intensity of that, uh, that competition, the more they seem to thrive and, and enjoy it. And I think that gave us, you know, when you can spot that in the younger players and, and see players who are ambitious and want to um, push their games forward, they tend to um, be quite self-responsible in what they do. They don't need a lot of um, directing. You, you feed them the information, but they, they make great use of that information and drive themselves forward as well. And if you take them as an example, those three, could you tell at a young age that they would go on to make it, or are there still so many different variables that prevent you thinking in those terms? Yeah, very difficult. I mean, Jason always was a great ball striker, but he, there were other areas of his game that, that weren't quite right, but he had a, a great ability to strike a ball. Tom and Sam, when we saw them first, great natural ability. You just know that they've got a good chance to progress to the next level, and then what they make of that once they get into the professional environment in terms of international honours, which they've now got, is very much down to them, and now they handle being in the professional environment. But they did show, you know, obviously great attributes in terms of, of ability, but you can never say these guys will be their definite successes. I think, you know, that is down to the way they develop themselves and the environment that they're in when they're at Surrey and when they're with England. So is it fair to say that there are some things you just cannot measure? I, I think so. I think you'd be a brave man if you can say at this age this person will definitely do that because I think you don't know how they'll develop when they are in that environment, how they react to pressure, how they handle success, how they, you know, when, when they're in difficult situations, how they respond to it as they're, you know, they're growing um, 
you know, young people at 13, 14, 15, they haven't matured fully. Um, everything is changing in their lives. I think it's, it's very difficult just to, 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 uh, to go out there on a limb and just say this, this will happen. I think there are a lot of factors that can influence the, a player's development and you have to be aware of that and try and steer and support the player through that. A lot of sports teams and organisations talk about vision and purpose. How important are those concepts at the Surrey Academy? Well, the big thing that we focused on a lot, and we had you know, James, fortunately James Kerr came in, obviously Legacy in the New Zealand All Blacks book, and we spent a lot of time with him, and I was, I was fascinated by the story that he told, and I was quite um, keen to push our academy players and our, and our young players coming in to have a, a greater responsibility for what they represent and what Surrey represents. Um, obviously, you know, now the, the modern player is a little bit, uh, the phone's out, the Facebook, the social media. We wanted to try and change that a little bit and get them to, into a perspective of appreciating what has gone on in the past and what they represent and what has gone before them. So there's a little bit of kind of old-fashioned schooling in some history of the club and getting them up to speed that they will take on the kind of mantle of the next generation of Surrey players but if they're going to do that they need to understand what's gone before them and what Surrey has represented in terms of the past 150 plus years of, of cricket there and we focused on that a lot and that and integrated that into creating a set of behaviours and beliefs that we want our players to exhibit and learn and take and take on board um, and, 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 and push forward in terms of how they are when they grow into the, the core members of the future Surrey, Surrey County Curriculum players. And what would be some of those behaviours and values then that you try and... They're not rocket science, they're not, you know, they're, you know, they're to do with passion and humility and honesty, um, self-responsibility, drive... Um, and, and, and just uh, we sat down we took a, a cohort away and this is where we which included Sam, Karen, Ollie Pope we took them away to an, uh, a training weekend in Devon and we got them to come up with a group of words in combination with myself and those 12 words are now a kind of the bible of how we introduce our academy players and they're, they're descriptions of behaviours of what we would expect and when we judge how they go about things so if we go on tour or we review things, we always put those set of 12 behaviours and words up on the board and, and reflect on how, what we have done, does that, are those words included, are they, have they been lived and delivered in the way we've been going about what we do, whether that's training, off the field, on the field. And I found it a good way to kind of broaden them a little bit, but also to keep a th common theme going through our um, programme that can develop, because those guys have now gone into the first team, so we've established that link and we will want to develop those behaviours with the next generation that are coming through, knowing that the Sam Currens, the Popes, have got those kind of intact and are taking them with them. So it's a kind of, just starting our own way of kind of putting a little bit of something special into being a Surrey player. And moving from values to feedback and coaching, you know, as a coaching staff, what are some of your considerations? Most of it will be one-to-one. -one. We'll have some group feedback over how a team may be performing because um, obviously we're in com competition as a team but the main driving force of our work is to develop players to progress into professional ranks so that's more of an individual nature. The feedback will be um, consistent so we have a kind of plan and review process so we will sit down over th three phases of the year and have what we call assessment phase plans where we will set out the goalposts of where do we feel the player is at, where does he or she feel they're at 
and then we will review that two, three months later um, and reassess to the next phase, which becomes the, the preparation phase, and then we go into the summer, which is the performance phase. So we have three phases, and they're all plans and reviews, and those are sat down with all the support staff contributing and feeding in their feedback and information in consultation with the player, so it covers all the areas of strength and conditioning, sports psychology, welfare, and their skill development. And they have ownership of that, they drive that, it's a live document, um, and it allows us to kind of develop and, and, and pinpoint areas that we've, or red flag areas which we feel need to be sorted out in agreement with the player, but it also allows us to continue the strengths that those players are showing and to continue to grow them. So from what sort of age are you, are you encouraging players to take ownership of their development then? We're trying to make that younger and younger. One of the things we've noticed is, you know, again, the modern player, a lot of, with, the, with the onset of academies now, the, you know, which is, which is now part of most elite sporting groups, um, there's a huge amount of resource put into the coaching and support networks for these players. And that is great and it works and it's needed and it functions at the highest level with the top sides in sport and the top international competitors. But you don't want to take away that independence of a player making decisions on their own under pressure. It's trying to get the balance between supporting a player and giving them all the resources they need, but also making sure that they are um, not over-reliant on you in terms of the competition. Because at the end of the day, the crossover the white line is their decision-making under pressure how they perform, um, and, and the coach can't influence that, and the support network can't influence them, that. So it's, it's making sure we support them, but obviously not, um, not making them over-reliant on what their environment they're in so they can make decisions on their own. So it's important for players to actually be able to express themselves then. I mean, how can you help remove that fear and help create that safe learning space? I think one of the big things, I've, you know, we promote is, is the element of trust between the coach and the player. Uh, it's very difficult if you come in to an environment with a player and, and that relationship between you and that player hasn't been established. If you are critical of the player in a, in a way of providing a critique of, of, of information, whether that is improving something or improving a, a poor area or a strong area, if that trust isn't there, I feel the player sometimes doesn't react well to it because he's uncertain of where that information is coming from. So until the trust is established between the coach and those players, and that does take time and you have to work on that, until that's established, it's very difficult to direct and give too much information to the player. So we, we've certainly emphasised at Surrey that to build on the relationship with the player, gain the trust, gain the support, gain the understanding of how the player operates, and then, once that's established, you can begin to push and put information to them. If you go in too quickly and straight away, um, which can happen with co new coaches coming into a new environment and a new setup, you know, the hardest thing to do as a coach is to say nothing and stand back. But the best way is obviously to, to assess what's in front of you and take your time before you, you step in and start guiding and supporting. Because everyone wants to help and have an impact. But I don't think that impact is, is that productive unless that kind of um, relationship and bond is, 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 is created between the player and you. But it, yeah, it allows that individual uh, process to come to fruition, doesn't it? Yeah, and uh, look, the better players I deal with, you say little. They come for you for reinforcement and support. You don't have to tell them too much, but it's more of a, a friendship and relationship. So my, my relationship changes a little bit as the players progress from young 
developing sports or cricketers at 13, 14, 15, 16 to when they're established pros, my relationship is very different with the older players because it's, they're more mature, they're adult, they've gone through the process and, on, and there's probably more of a friendship and respect that's developed, whereas at the younger ages there's still that little bit of uncertainty of, of who I am and how we operate. And you have to take time to build that up. And you treat them a little bit differently. I think you, you, you allow them more space and freedom as they get older to, because they're becoming more independent and more, more adult in how they go about things. When they're very much younger, you have to, it's a little bit more tell and direct, um, or can be, because you have to almost, I think, more teaching than coaching. You're trying to input the information into them and giving them the, 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 the information to make decisions and learn. And it's therefore very much a learning environment when they're younger and, 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 and for me I feel that I've come from a, you know, I did teach a little bit of a teaching background I find you know it's more about teaching them rather than coaching them. Interesting and in terms of that teaching if not coaching in fact what sort of tools are at your disposal then? In terms of our, in terms of teaching? Yeah I mean we hear of teams using iPads and video some even use WhatsApp groups to their personal benefit what, what yeah, I mean, communication-wise, it varies now. You know, you send an email out or a message, they respond to a WhatsApp, you send something else out, you never hear back from them. So you have to kind of, you work with them on what f works with them. Um, we obviously do a lot of video analysis, um, especially in winter time, but also in match program as they get older, all the games are, are videoed and therefore there's an opportunity to review how their performances are. So that can be done on um, apps, on phones where you just send a little note or have a little clip of this what do you think of that or even now players are playing away internationally or away overseas it, it, you can easily get a clip of something and a message a little message saying have you noticed this is a little bit lacking when we were together four months ago you were doing this i've just noticed seeing the recent clips that's not quite the same so in a way it's, it's a, such a more easier fluid way to develop players you know you can remote access information and feedback information to players and it doesn't have to be on a one-to-one face-to-face. -face. It can be if these guys are on the, on the road, if you're not with them all the time, just dropping in bits of information via text, messages, WhatsApp, um, or over a little bit of uh, feedback on video can, can be just as effective. And at underage level, are you still working predominantly on maximising strengths or improving weaknesses? Is there a, Where does the balance lie there? I think they're both. Um, we're very much in terms of the fun, you know, we will look at the fundamentals of the game, and it, you know, and this may lead on to you know the different formats of the game, in, in, in which we might chat about. Is that, you know, the game hasn't ch the game has changed in terms of certain elements of it, but for a player to be successful, the, the basic fundamentals of batting, bowling, fielding remain the same across all formats of the of, of, and types of games that, that cricket um, is now associated with. So we will very much focus on those fundamentals and then look to develop the natural skills and the natural strengths of those players within the, within the kind of ba basic delivery of the fundamental skills. If you haven't got the fundamentals, it, to develop to the top level becomes quite difficult. And if you, you know, players will play in different ways and they will look different to the eye at the, at the elite level, at the international level, but they will deliver the fundamental basics to the highest standards. And at Surrey, the Surrey Academy in fact, what does good practice look like? That deliberate practice that you know when a player is taken on board, feedback is actually demonstrating some sort of improvement. I think them taking ownership, ownership of the session is, is crucial. 
And, you know, the biggest thing factor for me is you provide information to players, you know, the player that it goes through one ear out the other and they don't react to it or don't utilise it, the players stagnate or they don't progress or they don't work on the air as they need to. And you, what you can see is when a player takes the information, uses it for himself, works out and takes the pieces of information he needs to make himself better in the specific areas you detail. And you can then see whether it's a week later or six months later, a progression in the way that player has done that. Um, we talked a little bit earlier prior to this interview about Will, you know, Will Jacks has come into the professional squad, first year contract has made a great impact in one day cricket and he is a good one day ball striker. But one of the areas we were working on with Will was, was the ability to, um, uh, to know when to attack and when to defend because he was very aggressive and wanted to hit balls all the time and that meant he was making some errors and mistakes. But very early in the, in the season, I think and Dean Elgar, our overseas player from South Africa, helped with this, was out in the middle in some games, was telling him it was okay to block and dot ball up some, get, um, some deliveries. He didn't have to hit every ball and give himself some breathing space and some time to establish his innings and kind of take that little moment. And I think Will, you could see Will taking that on board where he started to leave the odd ball, defend balls, and within the confine of his game, he still went on and scored at a great strike rate and, a, and got 180 in one of the innings. But he gave himself some breathing space and didn't have to put the foot down straight away and go into top gear. He worked a little bit through the gears and knew when to attack and when to defend. And we, you know, in the space of a six-week period, you saw some really good learnings. And he'd, he'd made those decisions. He'd taken it on board. People had given him the information. Um, and it might have needed at the end one of the senior overseas players who spoke to him verbally about it in the middle of a game for it to have sunk in and taken it on board. But, you know, over a short period of time, you saw an improvement which will hold him in good stead for him to develop further. We're starting to see a lot of uh, sports academies and sports teams uh, employ psychologists with their young players. Is that something Surrey does as well? Yeah, we've always done that with the academy. Um, at the start, the, when we first started the program, probably 15 years ago, it was very much, um, very much traditional psychology that we looked at um, group sessions. But once over after the first two or three years, we developed it in far more into a individual program. And I think the, the psychologist became much more into, and we've developed it further and are very important on the welfare of the player. Um, now, a player may not always go to the head coach, the academy director, the first team coach, their skills coach. If they've got a problem or an issue, they sometimes you know, naturally may not want to expose themselves, may not want to admit to something or say something's happening to them that's affecting their performance because it will affect their selection. A coach might go, this guy's not ready, this guy's struggling, there's issues. So we try to create an environment where there was a safety, a haven for them to go and, and talk and express and chat about things that, that were personal to them that was affecting their performance. And the psychologist, for me, was there to allow that, facilitate that, use the information if they felt it was necessary, facilitate that information to come back to us, but also have the freedom to work with the player uh, a little bit more independently to help handle what was going on. Um, and especially now with the pressures of elite performance, 
you know, it is important that there is a, a safety net for these players to go through. And we talked about welfare and mel mental well-being. Mm -hmm. um, we've very much to push that with our academy so that our sports psych now, you know, has a free reign with that and has, has ha and again, builds up the trust and relationship to make sure that they can monitor that support so that a player is not under undue pressure or anxiety or issues that may, you know, potentially develop into some quite dangerous things further down the line. And earlier this year, Gareth, I went down to the Southampton Academy, obviously English Premier League team, yeah. and they spoke about a correlation they've identified between the best players and the best learners. Would you concur with that when it comes to Surrey and cricket? Yeah, and we just mentioned that earlier about the ability for a player, once they get the support net, the support net around these players are, are unbelievable, whether it's their training programme, sports psych, fielding, batting, bowling, whatever it is. If if they take advantage of that and utilise the information for themselves um, and make the best use of it, um, it gives them the best opportunity to develop to the highest level. So there is no doubt that those players that learn and develop and take that on um, tend to be the best players. It's a kind of natural correlation between you know someone who shuts down, ignores information tries to do it on their own, you know, that kind of player is very, very few and far between. And also, you know, it's not a recipe for success. You know, we, we've built some of our, our successes on a very kind of multidisciplined, all-round support network where coaches across the spectrum of support are all working together to help the player get better. So you have to link in the fitness coach, has to link in with the skills coach to the site. It's not anything new but it has to be delivered and done properly because you can talk you can have all these people working but if they're not working together and singing from the same hymn sheet and the player is on, not on board with that you can have all the resources in the world and you won't produce anything so Gareth our listeners may not be aware that there are currently three different formats in county cricket at the moment um, the first class four day game which eventually leads on to five day international test matches of course then, if, then you have the 50 over game which lasts for a day and then 2020, the 20 over game, which is finished in about three hours. So the difference between first class cricket and 2020 is profound, of course. So how do your coaching programmes allow for those differences and accommodate those? There have been massive changes in, in, in English, in, in, the, in world cricket, especially the advent of 2020 cricket. You know, it's a, it's a short game as opposed to a test match. We, we I said before, we'll, the fundamentals of the game still remain the same. So when we coach our players at the start and all the way through, the basics of the game can be utilised to then develop the skills that are coming out in, in the new formats of the game. So we will coach our fundamentals at an early age. But once they get older, they physical, they physically, mentally are developing, getting older. I think the biggest challenge for the formats, because they are different time spans and different um, ways of playing, is the tactical development of how these players approach. So if you're a bats batter, a batsman and yours playing in a game that's 120 balls long the way you approach that has to be different to a five-day test match where you might have to bat the whole day um, so the tactical development is, 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 is paramount to allow players who are young with limited experience to start building up that wealth of experiences and that will mean failing that will mean making a mess of situations Again, learning from that and then going out again and working on it and working out how they approach um, not approach the tactics of the game, which is really the decision-making processes of, of, of executing skills under pressure and making the correct decision 
at the right time. And that can only come through trial and error. It can come through support, but it also comes from the player developing a, a tactical understanding of how a game changes. And that can only come of experience. And the more you put these players into those challenging experiences and game situations, the more they can learn. They will fail. They will make a mess of things. Um, but as long as that environment you've got around there is supporting them and encouraging them, they, and they're showing the willingness to improve and learn, and they're not making the same mistake again, we can progress and the players can, can develop. We're starting to see a lot of cricketers these days merely sign white ball limited overs contracts as opposed to first class contracts for the four day game. Are you allowing for that specific one day focus in your training programmes or do you simply accept that limited overs cricket is more exciting and then work around that with these youngsters who might be drawn towards those shorter formats? Yeah, interesting. I personally, a traditionalist, I love the red ball longer format. The test cricket, it is. It's called test cricket for that reason. It's a test, it's challenging, it's difficult. Um, and I'd never want to see that disappear from the game because it's the fundamental essence, I think, of cricket. The modern game, the 2020, has to have, has come in to generate audiences, finance, revenue. It's a, it's a great product. It's exciting. It's a different type of game. Um, so that's there. I think we have to embrace that. Um, younger players coming through, we, we'll try and make sure, again, by keep coaching the, and developing the fundamentals and talking about the importance of the history of the game, they'll have an affinity to both formats. But obviously there'll be some players that naturally now will tend to be selected for a white ball limited over game as opposed to a longer format red ball game. And therefore we have to, we have to kind of take that on board and ensure that our programmes incorporate um, across the, the way we develop our skills that we, we equip the player to be able to cope with both. Um, so we have to fun focus in on, you know, improving the athleticism and, and fielding standards because that is so important in, in one-day cricket. We have to make sure that bowlers are equipped when they play in limited overs cricket to survive by bowling and having different variations of, of, of deliveries because if they don't, they could get hammered out of the ground. And our batters need to make sure that they're, they can deliver the basics but they also have other skills that they have developed in the ways of scoring and hitting areas and scoring zones in the, in the ground that will um, counter what the bowlers are trying to do. So I think it's become much, a much not a tougher way of coaching but you have to take on so much more. Um, so therefore you're stretched a little bit. With young players who haven't learnt everything, it's, a, it's sometimes over too much information trying to push these players too quickly because you're trying to, as young adolescents, they're developing and haven't fully developed, yet you're trying to put in the, all this new information. So you have to be wary not to overload them with information. They physically, mentally may not be capable of handling some of the challenges you put there, so you have to be aware of that. But the right time and the right places, you do feed in the different ways of playing the game. And then that allows them, equips them to then be successful. You want them to be successful. And, it, and, it, and it's not for me to say you can't play this or you can't play that. If a player can, can now uh, get worldwide success on playing 2020 cricket around the world, who's for me to say you need to play Red Bull? I'd like the fact that the best players in the world play all formats. But if a young lad now came through our academy and was one of the world's greatest 2020 players and that's how he made his living and he was rewarded financially more than playing test cricket, you know, that's the way the game has changed. And you wouldn't, you wouldn't want to stop him experiencing that. But you hope... They get a, an appreciation that test cricket and four-day cricket has its value. And also there's a place for 2020 
white ball cricket, which they can enjoy and gain success from, um, and they can do both. When you're trying to sell them the idea of the, the longer test format, does it help that you're playing out of the oldest test ground in the world, I believe? Well, it's got that history, haven't yeah, you? Yeah, you walk into the ground, the history around there is phenomenal. If you just take time to go into the different rooms, you know, the, even our long room and there's different um, there's a little museum there. I mean, it's unbelievable what has taken place at that ground over the last 100 plus years. Um, again, them having appreciation of that is important. I think if they see their role models, they see the heart, the best players in the world, and if some of those players are at Surrey as well, and we've had great overseas players, as you will know, in Sangakara and Ricky Ponting, and we've just got Morning Morkel who's just joined us, they see the world's best players there who have also had great success as test players and also believe in test cricket, which those players have. They can hopefully pass on and communicate and educate those players through that as well and give you know to say that test cricket has a value but also you need to make sure you can enjoy the other formats of the game because they they bring success and rewards so you'd bring in the likes of Morkel or Sangakara and actually have them actively involved with your youngsters we will certainly try and get them in obviously it's it, our winter program a lot of our trainings in the winter and then there's the summer program it's not always easy to, to bring them together but as, whenever we can those guys or the role models we have whether it's um, Jason Roy or Tom Curran um, and people like that to bring them and have the players having access to whether it's sitting in the dressing room doing 12th man being part of the squad is a massive learning curve it also allows them to feel at home and they don't walk into a dressing room and, and go, geez, who are all these players? And you know, they, they feel comfortable in that environment. They're not, you know, if you go and sit, Morning Morgan was one of the nicest blokes you've ever met. But if you're batting against him or see him on tee, you think he was a frightening guy who's going to knock your head off and, 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 get, and you know, cause you some problems. But they're, they're, they're lovely people. Kumar Sangakara is a real gentleman and a lovely person. So they're not frightening people because they're world-class international sports when you put them on a bit of a kind of you know you distance away from you but they're actually down to earth normal people and I think if you can get that across the players feel at ease and then when they walk in that onto that pitch with Jamie Smith making his debut last night at Lords in the 2020 17 year old you know, if you can walk into the dressing room and feel at ease that would be a damn sight easier for him to then go out in front of 30,000 at Lords and perform whereas if he's in that dressing room and is already anxious and uncertain and feels who are these people I think it's almost, he's almost beaten before he starts. So I think it's getting those icons of the game to communicate or be in the presence of these younger players coming through is, is, is it's invaluable. And moving from the players to you as a coaching staff, um, how do you go about refining your academy practices and could you cite an example of how you've done that in recent times? We constantly review what we do and how effective it is. Um, so we, you know, whether that is how we run our nets, how we run our strength and conditioning, how we interact things, we constantly review it and say, is it where are we doing this for the sake of it, or and therefore ticking a box? If that's the case, it goes. What you know, whatever we do has to be productive and valuable to the player. So, in the areas of fielding, we've been fortunate recently. We had Chris Taylor has joined us as a fielding consultant. So we've changed and revamped how we um, we coach our fielding so that we've introduced new ideas, new techniques, and also spent more time doing it. Um, and tried to make sure we focus on the limited time. You always have, you know, limited, there's always a limited time you have of a player because a lot of these 
uh, players are at school in full-time education. So we have to utilise the time we have with them and make sure that we are dealing um, or working with the best areas of their development and focusing in on it. So batting, uh, developing batting skills, there's a very variety of ways of doing it. We've moved away from using bowling machines because we feel they've become a bit predictable. Batters become a little bit robotic, aren't thinking, aren't making decisions. So we try and make sure our practice is more random, more variable, and therefore they have to make decisions more. And whilst challenging and working on a specific skill, they're also putting that skill into the wider context of, of playing the game. So we're trying to make sure that the practice is as real or comparable to match situation as possible. So we're coaching within that environment, especially in the off season, than just a kind of one-to-one -one net and it's just away from the realities of what goes on in the game. So everything we do has to be brought back to what happens out on the pitch and how the game operates so that it isn't, there is not too big a gap, considering we do spend a lot of time indoors practicing the game that we play outside. And will that involve uh, the club's senior management as well? People such as your director of cricket, Alex Stewart, will they become involved in these conversations? Yeah, we'll have an interactive approach. We'll have seen daily conversations over everything and we will pre present ideas. We'll get, they, will feedback, they will obviously feedback information to us on what they see from the players coming through. So the past, let's say, Alex being involved as director of cricket for I think the last four or five seasons, there's a lot of feedback coming back to say, this is working really well this needs to be improved or we've noticed our players are lacking here or they need more time in that. So we identified fielding as a massive area. So Alec wanted eight, the 17, 18, 19 year olds who were coming into the first team, we wanted them to be the best possible fielders they can be. So we've, we've, we've taken that on board and ensured that when a Smith, a Pope, um, a Curran goes into the first team, their fielding skills are not um, substandard they are at minimum the, uh, the kind of core level if not you want them to be the, some of the better fielders they should be in terms of their athleticism age but also their skill development so to make sure that anything that when they go into the first team environment if there are particular areas that they feel they've noticed are not quite what they should be that information is quickly re, re um, sent back to us and we make sure we can try and adapt and incorporate that incorporate that into our programs to make sure we can act on that so that that areas are improved going forward. And I've already mentioned football today or soccer but are there any other sports that you're actively learning from at the moment? I'm fascinated by all elite performance in sport you know um, I follow a lot the rugby we have um, you know we have some links with Harlequins we've, I've spent some time at Southampton and at West Brom and different areas like that you constantly just Talking to guys in, who are in similar positions to me in terms of developing young talent and how, you know, what problems they may have, what issues, how they operate. Fulham is another place we went to. And they're, and they, they're very different themselves. West Brom and Fulham were very different when I visited them in terms of their philosophies and approaches. And you picked out and, 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 you know, and sensed what, you know, how it worked and tried to work out, does, could that work with us? Is that something we could incorporate? Or are we doing things that are kind of being rubber stamped because other places are doing that? Um, I was fascinated by England rugby um, and the way um, you know, kind of Jones has come into the and taken over um, as well and where the changes are there that England rugby has suddenly been had huge successes and then just has now faltered for the last four or five matches and the pressures that you obviously can sense a huge amount of pressure on the England rugby team at the moment but you've got the head of the World Cup and you're fascinated on how 
um, these teams and these managements deal with that and the, the issues they have to come up with and, and, the, and, the, and the, the remedies really and I think it's fascinating there's no never a clear answer and I think you can always learn from a variety of sports whether it's individual team on how people deal with with elite sports performance but I think the biggest thing is is that one to, is, is to, is, is the key elements for me is having passion for what you do, um, being open-minded, and also I think having the humility and respect to be open to anything. And, 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 and if that can then go on and you build your trust with the player, you can kind of, uh, you know, the, the environment is, is, is much more relaxed and, and productive than maybe somewhere it can be quite um, tight and, and taut with, with problems and issues. I think we'll wrap that up there. Gareth Townsend, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you.